This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. For those that don't know me, I'm John Wardlaw. Um, so nerves may be there, especially when Zach called me this morning at three and asked if I would be willing to come up and preach this Sunday. Um, I'm, I'm kidding. No, Zach, uh, in preparation for this day, uh, in preparation for this time, asked me several months ago if I would be willing to put together a sermon that he and I could work through together for this kind of time um, when he knew he would be planning to go to the hospital with Margarita. So we pray for them, uh, but I am excited to be here today and to be preaching the word. We are going to be reading part of Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. And before we get into this passage, I, I want to point out how Paul begins the chapter. Paul starts it with an identity statement. He says, brothers. Now, in some translations, this is read, brothers and sisters. It's common language used by Paul, and I think that that is important. Paul wanted for the Galatians to understand who they were and that who they were, or, or better yet, what they were together was a family. And to the church in Galatia and to us, Paul is going to be talking about how we are to confront our family, our Christian brothers and sisters, when they are in sin. He's going to talk about us bearing each other's burdens in order to lighten the load for one another. Now, whether your feelings uh, or experiences in the past about family are positive or negative, God created families, and he shows us through his word how they are truly to be. And the church, we, the church, this family, is meant to be a representation of that. In both good times and in bad times, we are to love one another because he first loved us. So with that, we're going to look at how Paul calls the church to be gentle and loving when meeting our brothers and sisters who are in times of sin and struggle. If you would, please stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. Turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of Galatians chapter 6. We will be in verses 1 through 5. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Paul makes it very clear here to the Galatians that being a part of the church family means that we are going to be confronted not only with our sins and struggles, but also with those of the other members as well. And if you have been a part of the church for any time, you know this to be true. Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We here at Trinity Church, the church in Galatia and Christians and churches for all of time all around the world 
are a family that deals with sin and struggle. And Paul is showing the Galatians how to approach that. So the main idea that I'd like for us to take away from this passage today is this. Because Christ restores us from our sin and meets us in our struggles, we as the church family are to do the same for one another. And based off this passage, I think this is accomplished in three ways. And so if you're a note taker, these are going to be the three points that we will work through today. So to meet one another in times of sin and struggle, we do this first through personal examination, second through the gentle restoration of our brothers and sisters who are in sin, and lastly through bearing each other's burdens. So first, through personal examination. This passage begins with someone who is caught in sin, but did you notice that the majority of the passage is directed towards the people who are addressing that person? Look with me in verse one. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And in verses three through six, we hear that we are not to think highly of ourselves. We are to test our own work first and that we are accountable for carrying our own load. The focus of this passage is not on the one in sin. The focus is on those who are called to confront them. And so who does Paul say that that is? He says, you who are spiritual. You who are spiritual are to restore this person in gentleness. And in chapter six here, we see very little detail given to exactly who that person is. And I think it's because it was addressed earlier in chapter five. So if you'll bear with me, I'd like to read in Galatians chapter five, verses 16 through 26. I think Paul gives us some guidelines to do this personal reflection. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The first step of restoring our brother is personal examination. We need to examine our hearts to see if we are this person that Paul is talking about who belongs to Christ. 
in verse 24. Now, Paul gave us a very long, very encompassing list of the works of the flesh and sinful actions, a list that all of us, when personally examining our hearts, will be able to surely find areas where we fall short or struggle, areas that, when doing this examination, would by themselves disqualify us as being the spiritual people that Paul is calling upon. But fortunately, he did not stop with this list of the works of the flesh. Instead, he gave us hope. He said that if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, then you have crucified those fleshly desires and works, and you have the Holy Spirit. And if walking by the Spirit, then the fruits of the Spirit will enable you to be that spiritual person Paul is calling to restore their brother. Now, Paul talks about this battle between the spirit and the flesh in the book of Romans, a battle that even Paul admits to losing time and time again. But Paul also tells us that though we may lose some of these battles to our fleshly desires, that we have won the war and we stand without condemnation because of Christ. We can stand equipped to be the spiritual people that Paul is calling upon to the Galatians. So we, we must keep watch on ourselves before approaching our brother in sin. We must check our hearts that we aren't giving in to fleshly desires that can be so easy to fall into when we see others who are down, to fall into thoughts or actions that are not in step with the Spirit. It can be easy to compare ourselves to this brother, being thankful that our sins and struggles aren't as bad as theirs. We may judge the authenticity of their faith, wondering how any true Christian, how any true believer could ever do such a thing or fall into such a sin. We might make quick judgments, calling for this person to be disciplined or cast out before truly understanding what's going on below the surface. This, these thoughts, these actions are what Paul is warning when he says to keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That temptation to put your own thoughts, your own feelings or emotions before that of your brother. And we cannot deceive ourselves into thinking that we are the one who is the restorer. That's where pride will thrive. We have to continually remind ourselves that Christ is the only one who can truly restore this brother or sister. We are simply tools utilized by Christ because of the miraculous restoration done on us. And this brings us to our second point, that those of us who are spiritual, those of us who have been restored by Christ, we must restore our brother or sister in a spirit of gentleness when they are caught in sin. Now we have this brother who's caught in a transgression, but he specifically says here, caught in any transgression. And I think that this is intentional because Paul does not want us to get bogged down with trying to figure out which sin or which situation warrants being confronted 
but instead he wants us to focus on how that confrontation takes place with gentleness. When Paul says that there's a brother caught in a transgression, he doesn't mean found out exclusively like a kid caught with his hand in a cookie jar, but instead means entangled, like a fish who is caught up or entangled in a net. This brother or sister is not someone who had a jealous thought to repent of it quickly and ask for forgiveness, or a mom or dad who's had a long day and lashes out in anger towards their children, only to later uh, around the dinner table sit down and ask for forgiveness. And that's not who Paul is, is looking at addressing here. This is, this is a person who is out of sorts, a person who's out of place, who is entangled and needs help to be restored and freed. One pastor I listened to said that we're not called to be the sin police walking around looking to just point out whenever our brother or sister sins. No, we need to help someone who is hopeless to get out on their own. And the Bible tells us that this person should be freed from their sin. But how does that freedom look? How do we remove them from the entanglement? Is it by shaming them? Is it by brutally yanking them out? By casting them out? No, he says in verse 1 that we are to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And the word restore here is, it's the same word that's used for putting back together or resetting a dislocated bone. And I'm not sure how many of you, uh, maybe through sports or your professions, have had the opportunity to uh, put a shoulder back into place or a bone back into place. Um, but I had firsthand knowledge of this here recently on a backpacking trip um, this past winter with some friends of mine. We had come to a point in the trail that was completely covered in ice with only a few dry patches for us to try and maneuver down. And as we were looking for the path down, my friend accidentally took one step, and that's all, that's all it took, was one step onto the ice. And both of his legs came out from under him. He slapped down onto the ground and slid about 20 feet until he came to an abrupt stop um, on a tree stump. Now, the unfortunate part of the story is that um, on that initial fall, my friend did dislocate his shoulder, and we still had several miles to go. And I know that his shoulder was dislocated, um, not because I have a lot of experience in this, but because in 18 degree weather when he took his shirt off, um, I know what a located shoulder looks like, and that was not it. Um, so we made a makeshift sling, we took his pack, we hiked out to the cars, and we went to the emergency room where a doctor could reset it properly. And it was with the doctor where he laid out several options for my friend. And one of the things I found interesting was that he told us that the first two options were often dependent on the person's pain tolerance. These were options that may mean getting the shoulder reset faster, may mean not having to go under anesthesia and get discharged from the hospital sooner, but surely would cause more initial pain during the process. And this is where I wanna bring this illustration back, this illustration of restoring our brother or sister who's in sin. When you restore someone who is entangled in sin, in a spirit of gentleness, 
This does not mean that the process of restoration is going to be easy or without pain. Paul, when he says, in a spirit of gentleness, is describing the state of the person doing the restoration, not necessarily the process itself. And just like with what the doctor told my friend, we may have more than one way to approach our brother and sister. And hopefully, as a church family, as a community, we will have been doing life together so that we have an idea of what our brother or sister's pain tolerance is. This may be a brother or sister who you know will want to get this sin out of their life and repent quickly. It may require significant initial pain. Or this could be a sin that needs to be addressed promptly for the sake of that person, maybe of their family, or even of the church as a whole. And we actually see this in Galatians 2, where Paul, in front of many others in the church, confronts and rebukes Peter, another apostle, for the sin that he had fallen into. Peter, who was Jewish himself, had been preaching the gospel that both Jew and Gentile were welcome in the family of Christ. This was a gospel that he had received through a vision from God himself and was going out and preaching it. And Peter would gather and he would eat with the Gentiles, which was not a common practice in that time. But when his Jewish brethren were coming into town, Peter was found out to be pulling back from the Gentiles and even acting as if they were not saved. Peter was entangled in a sin of wanting to protect his own identity and reputation amongst the Jewish church, even though it meant rejecting the Gentiles and the gospel that God had asked him to preach. His actions, his sin, were causing doubt, division, and confusion in the church family. And Paul knew that this needed to be addressed. Paul also knew Peter, and he knew what Peter truly believed and what Peter truly wanted for the church. Paul knew Peter's pain tolerance and the method of restoration that needed to take place for both Peter and the church family. But this outward, more public approach is not always and most likely not often the approach that we are going to take within our church family. One of the options that the doctor laid out for my friend in the hospital and the one that was ultimately used and successful was a bit more time consuming. Uh, he would apply pressure to the shoulder by way of simply pulling um, on my friend's arm and he would just gently move it up and down. And over time, the muscles that were keeping the shoulder from returning to its proper place would be fatigued and the shoulder would go back into place. This approach took time. It required the doctor to put on hold other things that were going on in the hospital, maybe putting him behind schedule. It was a hands-on approach, whereas he would continue to evaluate my friend. He stood there working with him, looking in his eyes, talking to him, determining if he had the pain tolerance to continue or if it was time to try something different. Sometimes the process of restoring our brother or sister will take time. It may mean coming alongside them in their life and walking through it together. 
It could start with a phone call just to reach out and see how the person is doing. Maybe it's going to lunch or grabbing coffee to talk through in private the sin that they are in. You may just need to be able to look in their eyes to hear their heart and determine the steps that need to be taken next. Sometimes restoring something or someone means we are going to have to make our own sacrifices. Sacrifices of our time, sacrifices of our money or our rest. It means that when our brothers and sisters are shouldering a burden that is too heavy for them to carry alone, that we come alongside them and help take some of the weight off of their shoulders. And this brings us to our last point. When we're meeting each other in times of sin and struggle, we first must do personal examination. We must then restore our brothers and sisters in a spirit of gentleness. And lastly, we must bear each other's burdens. Paul says in verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Historically, the church, even though it has had its fair share um, of missteps in the past, has been a place that has led society in bearing the burdens of others through hospitals, missions, caring for the poor and needy, outreach. The, the church does this well. But I want to make sure that when we're reading through this passage and we hear this, that we don't just default to thinking that the church or a ministry or a global ministry is going to take care of this whole burden-bearing thing. In verse, five, in verse 5, Paul addresses this. He says, for each will have to bear his own load. Each one of us will have to bear our own load. Now, I want to differentiate here between the word load and the word burden. The word load here is used um, to describe what a person would carry in a backpack or a personal bag. It's used to describe uh, the amount of something that a ship is equipped to handle. This is a weight that you alone are responsible for, that you alone are capable of carrying. But burden, burden is something significantly greater it's a, weight that more, it's a weight that is more than a person is able to handle on their own. It's going to require the assistance of others. So when Paul tells us that we are to bear one another's burdens and that we also are going to be accountable for our own load, it can be deduced that part of our load, part of what we are equipped to handle is going to or should include some of the weight from our brothers and sisters. Now, of course, we need to check our sin. We can't pry into people's lives uninvited. And, and we need to approach gently, not with a spirit of arrogance or superiority. But nevertheless, it seems for Paul that the command to bear is directed towards those who would seek to restore someone else. The burden is on us to find ways to carry others' burdens. Now, are your eyes open to these opportunities? Are they open to the ways that you have been gifted to relieve the burdens of others? And would you actually be willing to give of yourself 
uh, for the sake of a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe, maybe there's a mom that you know who's pouring into her children every single day and could just use a phone call um, to have an adult conversation. Maybe there's a family dealing with financial struggles from job loss or medical expenses and you've been blessed in a way to help relieve some of that burden. Maybe it's a college student who is faced with new and conflicting ideas that are challenging their faith. They might need a mentor or someone to come alongside them to disciple them through their doubts and questions. And maybe it's this brother or sister who is entangled in a sin that you are uniquely um, capable of restoring them and lifting some of that burden because of the restoration done in your life. The burdens of people in any church are present and can be found if you are ready and willing to take them on. And when we are bearing each other's burdens, we are not simply just helping somebody out, though that is important. No, Paul tells us here that when we do this, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. And I don't want us to just pass over that. It's, it's extremely important that by bearing each other's burdens, by loving one another in this way, that we fulfill the law of Christ. And what is this law? Let's look at what Jesus says here in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So through personal examination, through restoring our brothers and sisters in a spirit of gentleness, and by carrying one another's burdens, by loving each other in these ways, we fulfill the law of Christ. And we do that because he first loved us. Christ lived a perfect life and was able to see our sin without the distortions of his own sin blinding him. Christ never abuses us, but always restores us in gentleness, never shaming us for our sin, but providing real forgiveness. And Christ bore the burden that would have crushed us all. He bore the burden of eternal death, a burden that no matter how many brothers and sisters we had helping us could not be lifted without his resurrecting power. He took the burden which was heavy, and gave us a load which is light, saying, love one another as I have loved you. Go and be the family that I have commanded you to be and care for one another as I have cared for you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, we pray that we could hear these words from Paul to the Galatians and that we could be affected by them, knowing that it is because of the Holy Spirit that we are, uh, because of Christ that we are restored and because of the Holy Spirit that we are equipped to stand without condemnation, to be the family that you've called us to be. And our prayer is that we would do that in such a way that others, all others, would know that we are Christ's disciples. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.